Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Greece in the Western, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind adjust the theme, crossing new frontiers to conquer today's challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Louis St. Augustine. My contribution to the development of the first supercomputer is this. I invented the first world's fastest computing as it's executed today. Because I invented a supercomputer where none existed, I can confidently say that after the 4th of July, 1989, an ensemble of the slowest processors in the world can work together to emulate a never-before-seen supercomputer. As the inventor of the world's fastest computing, my lectures had power and focus. The reason was that only I could give a first-person eyewitness account of that seminal moment in the history of the computer. That Eureka moment was 15 minutes after 8 o'clock in the morning of July 4, 1989, when I give advice on how to invent the world's fastest computing or supercomputing or solving difficult problems across a new internet that's a new global network of processors. I speak from my unique experience of being the only inventor that invented such technologies. My knowledge was diametrically opposite to that gained from reading about supercomputers, as well as reading from textbook authors who were describing the inventions of computer pioneers. After half a century of supercomputing, I acquired a deep knowledge that enables me to produce the 1,000 podcasts and YouTube videos in which I lectured impromptu. I discovered the world's fastest computing and did so without notes that were copied from textbooks. For the record, the world's fastest computing community of the 1980s was comprised of only one member within parallel supercomputing and 25,000 members within vector supercomputing. In the 1980s, I was the only person in the field of parallel supercomputing that executed the world's fastest computing. My discovery of the world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processors is my contribution to the development of cheaper and faster computers. The world's fastest computing wasn't just a technology that I invented. It's who I am.
for nearly every day of the past half century, since June 20, 1974 to be exact, I conducted mathematical research on how to harness up to one billion processors that encircled a globe as an internet and used them as one cohesive supercomputer. The fastest computers are used to answer the biggest questions in science, engineering, and medicine. Such questions include supercomputing the social distancing requirements during a global pandemic. For those reasons, the world's fastest computing will remain at the core of who we are. The world's fastest computing is used to find answers to big scientific questions that are central to tackling the global challenges that face humanity, such as supercomputing the social distancing that reduces the spread of coronavirus. The world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processes is a transformational discovery that redrew the boundaries of science and permanently changed what we know about the computer and how we think about mathematics. The world's fastest computer is powered by millions of processors and the hardest problems in mathematics and physics are solved by dividing each grand challenge problem into up to a billion less challenging problems and then solving them in tandem and with a one-to-one -one correspondence with as many processors. The grand challenges of supercomputing are the most pressing problems of our time. One such grand challenge is to execute the detailed computational fluid dynamics model of the spread of the coronavirus across the one million shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder traders in Lagos markets. Fastest computing across millions of processors is the path to the solution of the most difficult problems arising at the crossroad where new physics, new mathematics, and new computing intersected. The invention of a new supercomputer led to the creation of the new computer science of parallel processing. That new science became an, became an instrument of discoveries that transformed lives. The Philip M. Aguale computer is a supercomputer that's powered in a new way, namely powered by up to a billion processors. It's also a new internet that's a new global network of up to a billion processors. Those processors shared nothing, but we are in constant dialogue. The mathematician's perennial quest for the world's fastest computing 
constantly demands new phrases, new names, and new ideas. During the decade and a half onward of June 20, 1974, I was an unknown supercomputer scientist, but I possessed the then unproven idea of harnessing millions of the slowest process, world's slowest processors and using them to cooperatively solve the most difficult problems in mathematics. Such compute-intensive problems could not be solved on a single giant processor. When I began my mathematical quest, back on June 20, 1974, in Cobalis, Oregon, USA, the world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processors was merely a theory or an idea that's not positively true. Since 1974, I believed what I felt in my gut and know in my heart. I believe that harnessing the power of up to a billion processors will leave the realm of science fiction to become reality and produce the world's first supercomputer as it's known today and as it could be known tomorrow. In computer science, recording the world's fastest computing and recording it in an unexpected way such as across the world's slowest processors, is the gold standard that earns its inventor the highest award that's referred to as the Nobel Prize of Supercomputing. I was the first and only person to win that award alone back in 1989. The period of of early 1967 was an era of widespread reprisal attacks against Igbo-speaking people who were living in the northern region of Nigeria. In late September 1967, Igbo-speaking people who were living in the midwestern region of Nigeria, of Nigeria were killed in reprisal attacks from the Midwest military invasion of the Biafran army. In faraway northern Nigeria, houses belonging to Igbos were burnt and their stores were looted. Igbos pursued by mobs, hid with Hausa friends. Some changed their Igbo names to Hausa names. In 1967, pursued Igbos in northern Nigeria we are smuggled into safer neighborhoods. Back then, there was no intercity bus transportation in Nigeria. My family traveled from Abo to Onitsha in small Peugeot 403 sedans that squeezed in eight passengers. We also traveled by Wongworu, a truck, a rickety lorry with, with a wooden body. Such trucks were used by market traders for, for their long-distance transportation of farm produces, such as yams, chickens, and goats. 
In early May 1967, the political crisis in Nigeria remained unabated. Within a six-month period, Nigeria lost two political leaders. The Prime Minister of Nigeria, Abubakar Tafawa Balewa, was assassinated on January 11, 15, 1966. Six months later, the new military president of Nigeria, Major General Johnson Aguiyoronsi, was assassinated on July, July 29, 1966. The assassination of the Prime Minister of Nigeria spurred reprisal killings of Igbo-speaking people who were living in the northern region of Nigeria. As the violence spread, Igbo refugees fled to their ancestral homelands. Reacting to the 30,000 Igbos killed in the street uprisings in northern Nigeria, which followed the second retaliatory military coup of July 29, 1966, the Daily Sketch a Lagos newspaper pleaded for sanity in Nigeria. The Daily Sketch asked, Will no one save Nigeria? Is there no one whose love for Nigeria transcends love of tribe or personal safety? Who is willing to come forward and seek others like himself? To nurse this sick nation. If there be a man, let him come forward today for God's sake. My answer to the question, who will save Nigeria, is this. Nigeria cannot be saved by one superhero. Nigeria can be saved by 220 million the tribalized Nigerians, or heroes and heroines, who don't vote along religious, ethnic, and regional sentiments, and who don't call for the dissolution of Nigeria into three countries, the republics of Biafra, Ududua, and Arewa. The breakup of Nigeria is unacceptable to me. From January 1966 and later, tensions were high throughout Nigeria. In response, my father decided that Apo was no longer safe for us to live in. We rented a bomboro to transport us from the nurses' waters of the General Hospital, Apo, to our second and safer residence at 4B Ebunadazda Street, Onicha. Onitsha was a commercial city that was 47 miles east of Abo. The seats of the truck were bare wooden planks and were uncomfortable. The Gwongworo we rented was crammed with three chairs, two birds, two beds, a double-barrel gun, a rally bicycle, a singer brand sewing machine, cooking utensils, and various household items.
My family returned to Onicha in early May 1967. Onicha is our historic homeland at the east bank of the river Niger. Although Onicha was only 47 miles away from Abo, that journey took three hours. From early May 1967 to the first artillery bombardment of Onicha, which occurred on the 4th of July of October 1967, we lived in my parents' house that was at 4B Ibnadazia Street, Onicha. That house was built five years earlier, and my father and my father stayed back in the nurses' quarters of the General Hospital, Abo. He was in Abo during the Midwest invasion of 1967. That invasion of the Midwestern region of Nigeria was executed by 3,000 lightly armed Biafran soldiers. That invasion began at 3 o'clock in the morning of August 9, 1967, and began when Biafran soldiers crossed the Onitsha Asaba Bridge and occupied the entire Midwest region. By 5.30 of that same morning, the regional headquarters of the Midwest region, Benin City, was under the control of the Biafran Army. When we received the news that Benin City had been captured by the quote-unquote gallant Biafran soldiers, we ran into the streets of Onitsha to celebrate that victory. On August 12, 1967, the Biafran army captured the city of Ore that was deep inside the Midwestern region of Nigeria. In Biafra, the capture of Ore was widely celebrated as a strategic victory. The capture of Ore placed the Biafran army a mere 130 miles from Nigeria's capital, Lagos. In Onitsha, we speculated that the civil war might not last long and that the Nigerian army will soon surrender to the Biafran army. The 3,000 Biafran soldiers who overran the vast Midwestern region of Nigeria were lionized as heroes. Biafrans were amazed that the Midwestern region was captured within three hours and captured without firing a single bullet. We were surprised by the boldness of those 3,000 Biafran soldiers who captured the Midwestern region of Nigeria. Those Igbo soldiers were commanded by a Yoruba officer named Victor Banjo. Major General Victor Banjo was a disaffected Yoruba soldier who defected from the Nigerian army to the Biafran army. On August 9, 1967, the day the Biafran army captured the Midwestern region of Nigeria, my father was in that region and was working as a nurse at the General Hospital, Abo. The Biafran army claimed to have, quote, unquote, liberated the Midwestern region. On September 19, 
1967, the Biafran government renamed the Midwestern region of Nigeria as the quote-unquote Republic of Benin. That same day, the Biafran leader, General Odumegu Ujuku, appointed Major General Albert Okonkwo as the military administrator of the new Republic of Benin between Biafra and Nigeria. The story of how I discovered the world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processors and across an internet that's a global network of processors began on June 20, 1974. My story began in a small room that was upstairs of a White House at 195A North Street, South, Monmouth, Oregon, USA. Oregon is one of the widest states in the USA. The city of Monmouth, Oregon, that I was living in, had no resident black couple. In 1974, I was a lone black supercomputer geek in Oregon, and I programmed supercomputers at the same time Steve Jobs was a personal computer geek in Portland, Oregon. Fast forward 16 years, and my story was in the news. My story that began in a small room in Monmouth, Oregon, was in millions of living rooms across the world. Physics, calculus, and algebra are the three cornerstones of fastest computing. The root of computing can be traced to the Middle Ages. The historical path to the world's fastest computing began 330 years ago. It began as the discovery of the second law of motion of physics. It began as the invention of the technique of calculus that's the most powerful technique in mathematics. In the 1980s, the biggest challenge in computer science was to invent how to compute 65,536 times faster and do so across a new internet that I visualized as a new global network of 65,536 off-the-shelf processors and standard parts. That new internet needed its first programmer who could harness it as the world's fastest computer. That first programmer must be a triple threat at the frontiers of physics, mathematics, and computing. The intellectual and the physical instruments that were required to make those mathematical and scientific discoveries, such as the world's fastest computing, we are the knowledge of the laws of classical physics, the mastery of the partial differential equations arising beyond the frontier of calculus, the knowledge of large-scale algebra, and the expertise of how to program a processor to solve the most difficult mathematical problems 
that are compute intensive and the knowledge of how to communicate via 64 binary thousand email addresses that each had no at sign or dot com surfaces and how to exchange the initial and boundary conditions across one binary million bidirectional, regular, short, and equidistant email wires. And two, finally, compute simultaneously and do so at 65,536 off-the-shelf and coupled processors that shared nothing, but we are in dialogue with each other. The laws of physics are the essences and the common thread through the partial differential equation arising beyond the frontier of calculus. Through the partial difference equation of large-scale algebra that approximates that partial differential equation. Through the compute-intensive fluid, fluid dynamics code that was derived from that algebra and emailed across that small copy of the internet that I invented as a global network of processors. A question in school essays is this. What is the contribution of Philip Emma Aguale to the development of the computer? In 1989, I was in the news because I discovered how to always perform the world's fastest computing and how to record such speeds across an internet that's a global network of the slowest processors in the world. My contribution to the development of the world's fastest computer wasn't too small as a journal paper or too large as computer science as computer science. In 1989, I was widely recognized for my contribution to a new and critical technology. That contribution is the world's fastest computing across the world's lowest processors. The new knowledge of the world's fastest computer that I contributed to computer science is used to manufacture the fastest computers of today, which are expected to become the computers of tomorrow. My contribution went beyond discovering an increase in the speed of the world's fastest computer. My contribution to developing the supercomputer included fighting scientific dogmas. I faced many obstacles. During my 15-year quest to discover how fastest computing across a billion processors could become the magic sword to be used to solve the hardest problems. For instance, on three occasions in 1977, 1981, and 1989, when the word got out that I was conducting research on the world's fastest computing across the world's lowest the governmental fellowships that partially supported my research were withdrawn. My fellowships were cut off 
as retribution and punishment for pursuing the fastest computer speed that was done in the realm of science fiction. Two often asked questions are these. First, how do we use mathematics in our everyday life? Second, why is mathematics useful in pinpointing the locations of crude oil and natural gas that were buried one mile deep in the Niger Delta oil fields of southern Nigeria? The young African mathematician needs to understand those parallel processed solutions used to discover and recover otherwise undiscoverable and unrecoverable crude oil and natural gas that are buried up to 7.7 miles or 12.4 kilometers deep and buried across the 65,000 producing oil fields in the world including the 159 oil fields that dotted the 36,000 square kilometer Niger Delta region of southern Nigeria. An oil field is about the size of a town. Solving the most compute-intensive problems in science and society requires a leap of the imagination Solving a grand challenge problem of computer science is, in a way, akin to slaying the fire-breathing dragon of ancient mythologies, or the super-dragon that guards the tree of knowledge. The research supercomputer scientist needs two swords to slay that dragon. The first sword is intellectual and is needed for the theoretical discovery of fastest computing. The second sword is physical and is needed for the experimental discovery of the world's fastest computing. An often asked question is this. Is the system of Philip, of Philip M. Agbali equations solved? The reason my discovery of the fastest computing made the news headlines in 1989 was that I went beyond harnessing the total computing power of the slower 65,536 processors in the world. I visualized my processors as evenly distributed around the surface of a 16-dimensional globe that was embedded within a 16-dimensional hyperspace. But it took me 16 years and several stages to discover the first world's fastest computing across the world's slowest processors. First, I mathematically invented the correct equations, namely a system of nine coupled, nonlinear, time-dependent, and state-of-the-art partial differential equations occurring beyond the frontier of calculus. That contribution to mathematics is called the Philip Emanuele equations. Second, I invented algebraic algorithms that I used to solve my correct 
nine partial differential equations that encoded the second law of motion described in physics textbooks. The 65,536 processors of my new internet can't be harnessed and used to solve an incorrect system of equations of algebra and calculus and harnessed to solve them correctly. Nor can those 64 binary thousand processors be harnessed to execute an inaccurate algorithm and execute them accurately. Third, I visualize my new internet as defined in the shape of a square and outlined in the shape of a circle in three-dimensional space. In three-dimensional space, those shapes become a cube and a sphere, respectively. In 16-dimensional hyperspace, those shapes become a hypercube and a hypersphere, respectively. I visualize the Philip Emmanuel Internet in the 16th dimension of space. I visualized my new internet as a new global network of two raised to power 16 or 65,536 identical computers that were defined at the 65,536 vertices of the cube in a 16 dimensional hyperspace. Harnessing up to a billion processors to solve the hardest problem and solving it for the first time on July 4, 1989, and solving it by executing the world's fastest computing across my new internet is the crown jewel of my discoveries in physics and my inventions in computer science. But the story behind the story is that the technologies are concrete and visible, while the techniques are profound, abstract, and invincible. The world's fastest computer is up to one billion times faster than your computer. The fastest computer is the heavyweight champion of the computer world. The world's fastest calculation that I discovered and invented across my new internet was the crown jewel that sparkled in the limelight and remains a quick retentive in the public memory. My scientific discovery of the world's fastest calculation received spontaneous applause in 1989. The supercomputing community mirrored back their appreciative applause and recognized my contribution to computer science by giving me their highest award. Attempting to find my quote-unquote fastest calculations within a fastest computer that was powered by a powerful processor was like undertaking to find the unicorn that was a legendary beast with a single spiraling horn. The unicorn can't be found for the simple reason it does not exist. My fastest calculations did not exist within one isolated super fast 
processor, which was not a member of an ensemble of processors. My fastest calculations only exist across a new internet. The machinery that I used to record my world's fastest computing only exists as a new internet that I defined by my 65,536 equidistant processors. My quest for the world's fastest computer was for a new internet that I could use to compute at the fastest possible speed and compute to raise to power 16 times faster than the computer and compute fastest while solving the hardest problems such as simulating global warming. My quest was for human progress that's achieved via an increase in the speed of the computer. In my quest for the world's fastest computer, I followed 16 mutually orthogonal or perpendicular directions. Those directions led me into an imaginary 16-dimensional hyperspace where I invented my new internet and invented it as a new global network of 65,536 equidistant off-the-shelf processors that were surrounding a globe in that 16-dimensional hyperspace. Algebra and calculus are the cornerstones of extreme-scale computational physics. In the 1980s, the most compute-intensive problems arising in large-scale algebra are those from discretized partial differential equations beyond the frontier of calculus, not and not in any textbook. The grand challenge in late 19th century calculus was to discover how to parallel process and how to solve 65,536 compute-intensive problems in, in algebra or calculus and how to solve them across as many processes. Many articles, including one in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal, credited Philip M. Aguale for inventing how to solve such difficult mathematical problems. I discovered how to solve the most compute-intensive problems and solve them across a new global network of 65,536 processors. Those processors were identical, coupled, and shared nothing. They defined and outlined a new internet. I invented how to harness that new internet and use its processors to compute together and harness up to a billion processors as one coherent, seamless supercomputer that was the precursor to the world's fastest computer. I'm the only father of the internet that invented an internet. The answers to the biggest questions don't come easy. 
in a syndicated newspaper article that was distributed on September 2, 1985, and distributed to the print media and distributed by the United Press International, or UPI. And in that article, John Roll Wagen, the president of Cray Research Incorporated, the company that manufactured seven intense supercomputers, described his company's use of 64 superfast processors as quote-unquote, more than we bargained for. My scientific discovery of the world's fastest computing will be described as follows. A billion processors could be harnessed to compute a billion times faster than one computer. I was in the news because I discovered the supercomputer solution of the hardest problems across an internet. My theorized internet was a global network of a binary billion processors. A binary billion is 2 raised to power 32, or 4 billion, 294 million, 967 thousand, 296. My new mathematical solution demands serious ideas and hard work. The reason the 12-year-old writes an essay on Philip M. Aguale is that I discovered the world's fastest computing and discovered how to solve a billion problems at once and across an internet that's outlined and defined by a global network of one billion processors that shared nothing with each other. My discovery made the new headlines because it opened the door to the world's fastest computer that solves a billion problems at once or in tandem. Silent but powerful protests followed my discovery of the world's fastest computing. My supercomputer discovery, which occurred on July 4, 1989, was this. I discovered a significant shift in supercomputer, supercomputing thinking. In the latest thinking, the world's fastest computer must harness one billion processors and must use those processors to solve the world's biggest problems that formerly took one billion days or 2.74 million years to solve and instead solve them faster and in only one day. In the search for new knowledge about nature and man-made things, the discovery and invention are the most coveted contributions to science and technology, respectively. For the computer scientist, the most significant progress is made when the world's fastest computer becomes faster. Each year, the computer gets faster, but it's difficult to articulate what a specific person contributed to develop that year's, compu that year's computer. The quantum increases in both the speed and speed up 
of the world's fastest computer that I discovered at 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, USA, is the quantifiable and objective measure of my contribution to the development of the computer. That quantum increase in speed was how I corrected the erroneous belief that was enshrined into computer science textbooks. Prior to my discovery of the world's fastest computing, it was believed that the hardest problems could only be, could not be chopped up into a billion less challenging problems and then solved in tandem and with a one problem to one processor correspondence and across a billion processors. It was believed that the world's fastest computer, as we know its technology today, will forever remain in the realm of science fiction. A research, a research and development on a billion-dollar supercomputer is a financial contribution to the world's fastest computer. Often, the research article is not a contribution to human knowledge. The research becomes a significant contribution to computer science if and only if it yielded a new world's fastest computer that made the news headlines and won the most coveted prize in supercomputing and has other signifiers that it's a contribution, that it's a significant contribution that made the world a better place and a more knowledgeable place. During my first 15 years of supercomputing that followed June 20, 1974, in Corvallis, Oregon, USA. I identified a lacuna in computer science that existed across an ensemble of a billion processors that's wired together as one coherent unit that's an internet. That missing knowledge was how to harness a billion processors and use them to solve the most compute-intensive problems in mathematics, science, engineering and medicine. I contributed new knowledge or scientific discovery to the first world's fastest computing across the world's lowest processors. I did so by correcting the imprecise knowledge of supercomputing that was known in computer science textbooks as Anders law. In simple terms, Anders law stated that fewer than eight processors could be harnessed and used to solve the world's biggest problems. I corrected that error when I harnessed a new internet, that's a new global network of 65,536 processors, and used that new internet to solve one of the most difficult problems called an initial boundary value problem of mathematical physics. Such mathematical problems couldn't be solved otherwise or without using one million processors. The world's fastest computing can't be invented by luck. My invention is the product of a 16-year-long quest 
During my first decade and half of fastest computing, I analyzed the toughest problems in algebra, calculus, physics, and computer science, and I tried different ways of solving initial boundary value problems that were governed by a system of partial differential equations at the frontiers of calculus and computational fluid dynamics. I theorized my parallel processed solutions, both within one processor and across one billion processors. I did both before I discovered that the fastest computing across the slowest processors is not a waste of everybody's time, as was presumed prior to July 4, 1989. It cost about half a million dollars to train a preeminent mathematician and train her from the first grade to the frontier of mathematical knowledge. But paying half a million dollars to consume the mathematical knowledge that was created by preceding research mathematicians is not a contribution to the existing body of mathematical knowledge. Inventing new partial differential equations that occurs at the frontiers of calculus and physics and inventing the fastest computing across the slowest processors and using that new knowledge as the tool for solving those difficult mathematical equations were my two signature contributions to modern mathematical knowledge. For those reasons, I was the cover story of the top mathematics publication, the May 1990 issue of the Siam News that was the flagship publication of the Society for Industrial and Applied Mathematics. Mathematics publications featured me to mathematicians, not because I was good looking. I created new mathematical knowledge that no mathematician had understood before me. The Siam News is where recent contributions to mathematical knowledge are published. The Siam News featured me because I contributed the nine Philip M. Aguali equations that were a system of partial differential equations at the frontiers of calculus and physics. And I contributed new knowledge of how to solve them by supercomputing them across millions of processors that shared nothing between each other. In 1989, I was in the news because I invented how to solve initial boundary value problems of mathematical physics and solve them by supercomputing them across the slowest processors in the world. For that contribution, I won the highest award that computer scientists describe as the Nobel Prize of supercomputing. In an email, a 14-year-old writing an essay on famous computer scientists and their contributions to the development of the computer asked me, how are the contributions? of Philip Emanuele used in Saudi Arabia. 
The supercomputer market is valued at $45 billion a year. The energy and geoscience industries buy one in 10 supercomputers and use them to pinpoint oil deposits. The Gawa oil field of Saudi Arabia that was discovered in 1948 had up to 104 billion barrels of recoverable oil reserves. The Gawa oil field measures 174 miles by 19 miles. The Gawa oil field is declining at 8% each year. Supercomputing across a billion processors is the $45 billion a year high-performance computing technology that must always be used to recover crude oil and natural gas from the Gawa oil field. Saudi Arabia classified its fastest computer simulations of its oil fields as a state secret and proprietary intellectual, pro proprietary intellectual property. In 1989, I was in the news for discovering how the world's slowest processors could be harnessed and used to manufacture the world's fastest computer and used to pinpoint the locations of otherwise elusive crude oil and natural gas that we have formed up to 541 million years ago and buried up to 7.7 .7 miles or 12.4 kilometers deep and buried across an oil field, oil producing field that's the size of a town. The most important applications of mathematics, physics, and computer science occurs within the world's fastest computers. The world's most expensive computer costs $1 billion, $250 million. The world's most expensive telescope costs $10 billion. The world's fastest computer is to the mathematician what the world's biggest telescope is to the astronomer. I'm Philip Emanuel. Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture.